0: It is Friday the 1st of February 2019. My name is Jeremy Medlin and welcome to episode 25 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a quick reminder that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice. And if you're looking for financial advice, I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. Thanks very much for listening in, episode 25 in the third episode of 2019. I hope that you're all having a good year. I cannot believe that it is already February and it's almost too late for me to be asking if you did have a good year but i hope you did anyway so there was some company news again this week for the first time this year so for, for those listeners that tuned in last year i guess this is sort of a resumption of normal service um so this week i'm going to be talking about sky city they're the casino company that came out with the interim results i'll talk about oceana the reti- retirement operator and i'll also talk about the do- downgrade from air new zealand finally i'll finish off with with a discussion about a great business book that I read this year. But before I kick off, I'd like to thank everyone for listening into the podcast. I wasn't expecting it because it was January and I was expecting it to be quiet, but more people tuned into the podcast in January than any other month. And that was a shortened month as well. So more than three times as many people listened in January than in the whole of August 2018, the month that the podcast started. So the great thing is that the older episodes are still getting new listeners. Um, I was sort of expecting the older episodes to, to, to die out in terms of listener growth. But new, that, that shows that new people are, are tuning in. So whether you're a new listener or, or an old one, I really do appreciate your support. And, and and the feedback that you've given me and I'd encourage everyone to get in touch if they want to have a chat it's it's great to hear from people that are listening so with that in mind we'll we'll get stuck into the episode. So Sky City, uh, Sky City Entertainment Group that is they trade under the ticker code SKC on the NZX and also SKC on the ASX as well so they're a a New Zealand company, obviously, they have a market cap of around $2.5 billion, and they pay a dividend of about 5.3%. So Sky City, essentially, they, they provide casinos. Um, so if you come to Auckland and you want to go to a casino, you're going to be using Sky City services. So essentially, I've I've discussed these guys in the past in the podcast, so they're a regulated monopoly, and that essentially means that they're allowed to exist by the government. Um, and if you're, in, if you're in any doubt about this go try and open a, a, a licensed casino somewhere and, and see how hard it is. The people that will be happiest about that are all the lawyers that will get significant fees from it. Um, so, And obviously, if, if the business wasn't regulated, then you'd have casinos popping up all over the place and it would be a business that's significantly harder to to make a profit from. So whenever I've seen presentations from Sky City, um, <laughs> it, it a big part of what they do during those presentations is try to justify how responsible they are as providing gambling services. They just seem to be banging on about how responsible they are to, you know, that they're not encouraging problem gambling and everything like that. And I don't know, I guess I can give my opinion about casinos in general. And, you know, obviously I've been to a casino and I enjoy them when I go. I'm no, no means a regular and no means a problem gambler. And no doubt... No doubt you know a lot of what happens in casinos is just harmless fun in in that sense you know' it's people just going and and spending money they can afford to lose and it is harmless fun but i don't know i guess it, if you're owning if you're owning shares in sky city and there's nothing wrong with that you, you have to be comfortable with the fact that you're making a a, a, a if, you, if if the company makes profits and if if they provide a return to you over the long term which i expect a, a regulated monopoly like sky city would obviously they're not going to set the world on fire but it expects you to get some returns over the long term um you know you, you have to expect that those returns are essentially generated because other people have lost their money and the expectation that they're going to make some money so you know, where you sit in the morality scale, there is, is probably will dictate your feelings a, a long way to Sky City. I'm not really sure how I feel about it as an investment, um, but you know, th- those are the facts. It's sort of the cold facts that if their, their profits are from people, for large part anyway, I know they do functions and the rest of it, but a large part of their in restaurants and whatever, a large part of their profits uh, have come from people that are making bets in the expectation whether right or wrongly that that they'll make money um so it it is a tough one and they always have this sort of to and fro between the government you know they get promised more machines if they add a convention center and all that all that sort of stuff so it sort of comes from there so anyway they they came up with earning guidance for the first half of 2019 and they expect EBITDA for the first half to be 189 million I don't like them talking about EBITDA because for some reason they seem to have huge capital expenditures and depreciation charges so they expect net profit anyway, probably more reliable in this case, to be ninety seven million for the first half, which is up ten percent on the prior year. And they did say, and that, that that's pretty strong growth from Sky City, really. When you think about it, I mean, how how fast can a casino realistically grow? There's always that balance between growing and encouraging gambling and all that sort of thing that goes on. And you know, is is it a can, can it grow too much faster than population growth? maybe it can but not not realistically over the long term and therefore they've come out and said earnings growth in the second half will be well it will be strong it, it's not going to be as strong as the first half because they had a strong finish of 2008 in as well so you'd almost say this last two reporting periods for them has been a normalisation of activities and normalisation of earnings um, so going forward I think you'd see a resumption to more that sort of regular and maybe steady sort of growth it's not it's not going to be the sort of growth that you'd expect to set the world on fire by any means um literally because it's it, it's hard to for them but you know if, if you if you're buying them now as a regulated monopoly with a 5.3 percent dividend yield i'd Personally, be wanting that dividend yield to be a bit higher. You'd have to be comfortable with the fact in terms of where that dividend's going to be come from. It's it's coming from gambling profits. Let's let's face it. You know, no need to sugar, no need to sugarcoat it. So, and there's nothing wrong with investing there, but you have to be comfortable with that as an individual. And you know, you'd expect a little bit of growth in that dividend over time as as their profits grow. But you know, and and it would be a reasonable investment, but you wouldn't say it's going to set the world on fire. So. Yeah, interesting one from Sky City. A normalisation and growth from a regulated monopoly is how I'd sum it up. So, Oceana Healthcare, they trade on the ticker code OCA on the NZX. I don't believe they have an Australian listing, but I'll have to check that. I don't think also that I've discussed them on the podcast to date either so it's a new one to talk about. They actually reported their interim results this time last week um, but because I was so focused on the MOA episode I didn't get the chance to speak about it but we're speaking about it now. So they have a market cap of about 630 million and they have a dividend yield a healthy dividend yield of four and a half percent so they're a retirement village operator you know similar like Ryman and Somerset and the other ones so they're the third largest in residential aged care in New Zealand and the sixth largest retirement village so one stat from the report that I was quite taken by and you know this might be applicable across all the retirement villages I'm not sure so they have 3,600 residents and approximately 2,550 staff and I was like wow that's that's quite a high staff to well at least it seems to be for me I'm no health and in, health industry expert so I could be wrong but as as an outsider it seemed quite high and I'm sure the other ones are the same but it was, certainly was interesting to me anyway so there are 46 sites in New Zealand spread about relatively well across the uh, across the the whole of the country so the retirement ones are always a. A different sort of one to value because it's not so much focused on the cash flow of the business as, as as much as the asset value and so it's it's always sort of a tough one for me um and it's it's not so much what, what cash you're generating although of course it will be in the long term it's it's how you can retain those earnings and grow it into future villages and and increase the and you know the, the reports from retirement villages are always the same we've got so much growth potential ahead of us and we've got this many sites for development we developed this much this many beds this year we've got this much in our pipeline everything like that so it, being being property the, the return on equity is usually relatively low because um, obviously the asset values are, are generally so high, especially in this time of, of quite, well, it depends on your view, quite, not in flames, not the right word, but I guess at the quite high property values relative to where we've been historically, I guess is the correct answer. So the idea is that you grow your assets over time and then maintain your return on assets to deliver a return to the shareholders. And that's essentially what Oceana and other retirement villages are looking to do. So looking at the interim report, OCA has assets of about one point two billion and liabilities of six hundred and sixty seven million, leaving an equity of about five hundred and forty million. And you know, the market cap of, of six hundred and thirty four million, you could say they trade relatively close to their, I guess, their tangible asset value. Um, so they have a bit of leverage on their on their liabilities through borrowings, and I guess. A, the, the ace in the hole is the refundable occupation rights. That's the other way they get the leverage. If they wanted to lever up their business more to ret, to get a higher return on equity, they could do so by taking more debt. But obviously that increases the risk of the business in, in case there's any downturn for whatever reason in the market. So a pretty solid result. So about $21 million in in net profit through the quarter not through the quarter sorry for the half which is about a 5% increase in the prior year but really it's more of the same from the retirement sector and I guess that's one of the reasons why they've been such popular investment vehicles obviously starting off with Ryman Healthcare in the early 2000s through to today and then the rest of them and why they make such a a big part up of the NZX is because of I guess the long term demographic trend the popularity of the retirement villages and I guess the predictable Returns that have been that have been delivered by these business models so far, whether it can continue in the future, I don't know. I, I guess over time, as the asset base, bases get larger, it's going to become harder to re, to generate the same returns on on those assets. It's a law of large numbers thing that we spoke about in the past. The the larger the businesses get, the harder it is to ret- to. The, basically, it's much easier to get a big return on one million dollars than it is five hundred million dollars. You know, any, anyone knows that so it's the same for these sorts of companies it'd be interesting to see what happens when and and they, they'll tell you the opposite of all these companies that when they when they run out of the easy growth opportunities ahead of them, if they sort of turn to some other sort of financial tricks like increased leverage and, and things like that, where those companies go from there and maybe put some more pressure on cost savings and everything like that. So that will be the interesting thing for me going forward. But yeah, I mean the, the, these are obviously solid businesses and obviously the, the property market has an impact as well and, and that, that could happen on the asset side of the balance sheet if we do get a A decrease in property prices then rather than that's when it will put pressure on on the balance sheet as well but at the moment these companies are certainly humming away so air new zealand updated the market during the week and it was probably i guess the most significant update on the nzx during the week um, in New Zealand, for those that, that don't know, they trade on the NZX under the ticker code AIR, or Ear, and they trade on the ASX under the ticker code AIZ. So they're about a $3 billion New Zealand company. Um, they're not the largest company we have, but they're the, one of the most significant. Um, and, you know, it, it, if you like stocks that, that Peter Lynch says that you should be able to explain to a five-year-old with a crayon, in New Zealand is definitely one of those. Um, all you need to say is that they fly planes, and it's pretty simple to understand. So, I say they're a significant company because when you look at their two thousand eighteen annual report, if you scroll down to the bottom of annual reports in New Zealand, or near the bottom of annual reports in New Zealand and Australia, you can see how many shareholders the company has. And in New Zealand, in two thousand eighteen annual report, said they had twenty five thousand six hundred eighty five shareholders. So that's a significant whack of the population, definitely the population that owns stocks in New Zealand. So chances are, if if you're listening to this, well, not chances, there's there's a fair chance that you own some Air New Zealand stock. So like I was saying, they had an update to earnings outlook. So they downgraded their earnings outlook, essentially. So they said they expect an earnings before tax of between 340 and $400 million. Um, and that was a downgrade from 425 to $525 million. So quite a, a, a decent size downgrade there. And the, the rest of the market thought so as well. And I think on the day, the stock traded down about 12%. Um, it's interesting to note as well, when you look at that that previous range, 425 to 525 it's quite a big range, $100 million. So they've, they've left a range of 25%. And I think the reason for for that is because there's so much unpredictability in the airline industry that they leave a bit of buffer there in, t- in terms of range and the unpredictability this time came in terms of the rolls-royce engine issues so if you don't know what that are I, I didn't really know much about either but I, I looked online and read some articles in the UK and things so rolls Rolls royce um, they've had some issues with their jet engines and I'm no <laughs> I'm no pilot by any means, but just reading about some of the issues, it sounded like they had cracks and and, and other problems with two of their jet engines, um, and it's going to cost them over a billion pounds over the next few years. So, I, like I said, I'm no pilot, but I'm guessing that having cracks in, in jet engines is, is not something that you're necessarily wanting. I think there's been some restrictions on Rolls-Royce engines on planes in the air as well. So that's obviously having an impact on Air New Zealand, and interestingly... Looking across the market as well, on on the day of this news, this, the Qantas stock, I think, fell 5% in Australia as well. So some correlation there. P- people obviously looking at Air New Zealand saying, OK, this is going to affect Qantas as well, and there's a sell-off. Um, so they expect a, a 30 to $40 million impact from the Rolls-Royce issue. So they also pointed to, and I'm pretty much quoting here, Slower growth, including leisure travel within domestic New Zealand, and softening of inbound tourism traffic. So that's an interesting line for me, and, and in many ways that is probably a reflection maybe of the wider economy and maybe of things, I guess we've seen other signs of it as well, but maybe of things slowing down a bit in the economy. Um, certainly you'd expect less domestic travel if, if the economy is slowing down because one of the first things you cut when you're tightening up your purse at home is your domestic travel and your holidays and everything like that. That's one of the first things to go. That's the easiest thing to cut. And inbound tourism as well is, is maybe a reflection, and I'm I'm guessing here, but maybe a reflection of some of the issues you're hearing out of it, a slowdown in China as well, although I'm not 100% sure on that. And they said at the bottom of the update that they're going to review their fleet, which my guess is the initial stages of perhaps some cost cutting, so it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out, and I guess that leaves you, if you're one of the 26,000 or nearly 26,000 shareholders of Air New Zealand, what to do with the stock, and I don't think really much should change, I mean if you were buying Air New Zealand the, the day before this announcement, maybe you'd you'd think this is a good opportunity to to add some more to the stock at, at 12% cheaper because essentially at the end of the day, the issues with the Rolls-Royce, it's it's not going to be a long-term problem. Of course, it sucks at the moment, but it's not going to be something that affects them for the next two decades. So if you were buying them a few days ago or a few weeks ago because you felt you were going to hold them for a long period of time, now is a good opportunity to add more. But if you if you weren't buying them for whatever reason, You know, it's probably not not much has changed because what what really has changed in the long term is obviously some cyclical stuff there with the economy. But you know, I I don't see how this should change your view of your New Zealand over the long term. If you're a buyer, maybe it's time to buy. You get some more for cheap, or if you're watching it, maybe this is a time to get in. But if if you're neutral on it it, it, it probably doesn't really shift the needle too much in my view, but we'll see how it plays out. And I think particularly interesting, their note on a potential slowdown as well, which I'd like to extend to the rest of the economy, but we'll see how that one plays out. I'd like to talk about a book that I've read this year as well. It's been quite a, a really interesting and fascinating book for me, Um, and it's got two things I look for in a book as well. Quite an easy and entertaining read, and also very cheap on Amazon. I think you can buy it for about five dollars on the Kindle or something like that. So ticks those boxes. It's called Zero to One uh, by Peter Thiel. He's the um, he's a billionaire founder of PayPal. And interestingly enough, he actually has New Zealand citizenship. I think he pretty much bought his way into citizenship, has a large landholding in Wanaka, and probably used some means that wouldn't be available to your everyday person that wanted to buy a citizenship, considering he's only been in the country a couple of times. But anyway, that's a that's a different story. You can read about that on Wikipedia. So basically, this book, and he, he wrote it with a chap called Blake Masters. I think Blake Masters was someone that wrote a, a load of very detailed notes on a bunch of lectures Peter Thiel did at universities and then got together with Peter Thiel and put together the notes in a sort of a book format and in a way that it was quite easy to understand. And I found it really, really fascinating book. It was really, really interesting. And I guess just some of the highlights from it was some of the conversations about the way he valued tech companies and i think he said something along the lines of and i'm probably bastardizing this quote but back in 2012 he 2002 sorry he predicted that the paypal would make most of its money after the year 2012 as as it developed into its markets and some really interesting things about how he was able to grow the company and everything like that and I think just some great thoughts on value in tech companies in general, some, probably some stuff I hadn't really thought about as well. And there were some great thoughts, thoughts on technology, and he, he turned a lot of things on his, on, on his head. I didn't necessarily agree, agree with everything he said, but it, clearly that he's, he's an independent thinker and someone is, that is able to view things in, in his own way. And really interesting thoughts on, on globalisation. Um, and the importance of further technological development as well. And the globalisation thoughts were very um, interesting in terms of when you're discussing China and the way they've caught up through globalisation. And I particularly liked his discussion early on in the book, and, and it was sort of theme throughout the book as well, was about about competition versus monopolies and the way he used the term monopoly profits. Um, I, I found that really fascinating, and it's it's obviously something that he was discussing in relation to the ideal business and it was it was a very very interesting book for the price and and the and the time it takes to read i'd definitely recommend it i'll post a link on on in in the show notes on this episode and on the facebook page as well right that's so that's about all I have time for today. Many thanks again for listening into the podcast as a reminder that nothing that I said today should be considered financial advice. Um one thing I am I am considering doing is, is ways to expand the podcast and, and, and get more sort of reach out there. And one of the ways I was I was looking to do that is maybe through doing a second podcast during the week that covers stocks on the ASX. I know lots of New Zealand investors also have an interest in the ASX just because it's so close to New Zealand and it's comparatively such a big market. So if you do have any feedback on that, I'd I'd love to hear what you think. So you can do that by sending me an email at jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz or, or finding me on Facebook and sending me a message. So you can find us also by searching Stock Market Movers on Facebook. I'd love it if you shared it with your, if you're, with your friends and, and give us a like. Uh, once again, my name is Jeremy Medlin and this has been episode 25 of the Stock Market Movers podcast for Friday, the 1st of February 2019. I'll see you all again next week.